Hi, welcome to Makers and Shakers of Chinese History. I'm Mark. Try figuring this out. When someone competent and ambitious is handed a crumbling project, company or monarchy, for instance, is there anything to be done to make a difference when saying no isn't an option? Our protagonist in this episode of the show, an ancient Chinese emperor from about 400 years ago, was dealt such a hand. It turned out being an emperor takes more than just the blood, brains and bravery to qualify for what it takes to rule. Timing and luck matter too, some would say. Now let me tell you about the life story of Emperor Chongzhen of the Ming Dynasty. Emperor Chongzhen was still in his mid-teens when he ascended the throne in 1627. To the surprise of many, he wasn't considered a candidate for the throne until his reigning brother passed away, leaving no heirs. Rumour had it that he didn't even want to be the emperor at first. He had two choices then, A. Taking the throne, or B. Bowing to a puppet monarch chosen by a powerful and notorious eunuch who'd been in control of the court of the previous emperor. Which one do you think he chose? So the young man took the throne, adopting Chongzhen as his reign name, which means lofty and auspicious, and he quickly proved himself a competent and responsible ruler. First, one of his most remarkable accomplishments was eradicating the influence of chief eunuch Wei Zhongxian at court and setting personnel issues right. Eunuch Wei is considered by most historians as the most powerful and notorious eunuch in Chinese history. When Chongzhen agreed to embrace the crown, Eunuch Wei had already been in actual charge of the Ming Empire's spy agencies, many central armies and lots of flattering officials. So you could imagine, even though Chongzhen was the one on the throne, he didn't have absolute power of the monarch. He had a tough start as the emperor. First and foremost, the goal was to stay alive. He was very careful not to be poisoned by Eunuch Wei and his people by means of preparing his own food, and some historians would say he always stayed within crowds, avoiding any possibility of being assassinated. He also gradually won the respect and trust of many court officials, especially those who hated Eunuch Wei as well. He also made Wei believe that he was as submissive as his predecessor. Secretly, he was soon strong enough to eradicate Wei's network, with Wei eventually committing suicide and all his properties confiscated. Over 200 officials who were serving Wei were executed or expelled. All this was done in around three months. Secondly, he was a more diligent and dedicated ruler compared with many of his predecessors, who spent most of their time looking for fun. Chongzhen knew that the monarchy was on the decline, and that's probably why he dedicated more time and attention taking care of matters of state. He attended court. He was also modest enough to take counsel from court officials. His commitment raised hope among optimists who saw the new emperor's accession as an opportunity to revive the dynasty. Thirdly, unlike many of his predecessors who led a lavish life, Chongzhen was really thrifty as an emperor. 
During his 17-year reign, there were almost no recreational activities in the royal palace. No gold or silverware was used. Only pottery utensils were allowed. He even made rules limiting the length of imperial ministers' sleeves to cut the cost of running his court. But could he save the monarchy by doing all of this himself? We'll soon find out what led to the demise of the emperor and his dynasty. Now, let's not forget, Chongzhen was left with an empire full of chaos and crisis, which included a corrupt and inefficient political system, incompetent, disloyal generals, frequent peasant uprisings, and a powerful nomadic enemy from the northeast. The damage was already done. Plus, this competent and dutiful emperor wasn't without flaws, some even leading to a lack of subordinate support that he could garner. First, let's talk about his problem with human resources. As mentioned before, soon after he ascended the throne, he removed eunuch Wei Zhongxian. This gave a huge boost to his confidence. After that, the young emperor began to promote and demote people quite willfully. One of his principles was talent first, virtue second, which prioritized a person's talents and capabilities instead of their virtue and integrity. As a result, his talent pool was surprisingly diverse. You could find officials with bachelor's, master's and doctor's degrees in the royal court, where there were also civil officers, military officers, eunuchs and royal clansmen. During his 17-year reign, it was estimated that over 50 prime minister-level officials served under him. They came and they went. But just so you know, during the 140 years of the latter half of the Song dynasty, there were a total of 50 prime ministers serving the court. Surely a contrast in what we would call attrition in today's world. On top of that, Chong Zhen was of a suspicious nature. One gruesome aspect of his HR strategy, if there was any, was that he would not only remove those whom he thought were not reliable, he'd also kill them. One of the most controversial executions of ministers was arguably that of a military general named Yuan Chonghuan, who was good at defending the northeastern borders against invaders. This execution has been widely criticized throughout Chinese history because Yuan was a very exceptional and brave general who could possibly have been able to save the Ming rule, and he was believed to be innocent anyway. Chongzhen ended up being surrounded by obedient ministers who dared not offer any constructive advice for fear of annoying the emperor. Secondly, being thrifty is a good virtue, but Emperor Chongzhen's thriftiness went overboard and became stinginess, leading to a lack of military funding. He often pleaded poverty to the ministers, borrowing from them, yet they were reluctant to lend much. There was often not enough money for soldiers' pay and provisions. But the truth was the emperor was very rich. Rebel leaders who broke into his palace found numerous silver bricks, each weighing almost 16 kilograms. Then why didn't the emperor want to provide for his troops? Reason number one, he was that tight-fisted given the fact he led a frugal life as a young prince, with his mother and himself both not favoured by his emperor father. 
Reason number two, his suspicious nature told him the troops didn't really need that much funding, and he also took it for granted that it was the duty of his ministers and soldiers to stay loyal no matter what. They shouldn't ask for more posts and paychecks. Now, guess who would still be on his side wholeheartedly? It's believed that when Emperor Chongzhen was besieged during a peasant rebellion at the very end of his reign, no one came to his rescue, no matter who he summoned. He hanged himself from a tree on a hill overlooking the Forbidden City. Some historians feel sympathetic towards Chongzhen, thinking that though he failed to make a big change and save his empire, he didn't deserve such a tragic ending. Others agree that Chongzhen was not an emperor who would terminate the empire with his own hands, and it was the historical trajectory that put him onto the course of destruction. It was all out of his control. Firstly, Chongzhen's entire reign was in the 17th century that coincided with the last of the four mini ice ages in Chinese history, which ended in the early 19th century. The cooling period dampened the agro-ecosystem and damaged the pasture, compelling the Manchu people in the north to launch southward invasions. Adding insult to injury, severe weather conditions caused drought and flooding, and the entire population went into a decline. Crop failure of large areas of land in successive years led to severe financial crises and famines. In order to fend off the Manchu, the Ming government levied heavier taxes for huge military expenditure, so the ordinary people suffered from both disasters and taxation. To make matters worse, the plague began to spread in northern China, killing more than 10 million people in Shanxi, Shanxi and Hebei. As a result of disasters, rebel forces rose up, including one peasant uprising that started in Shanxi the one that toppled the rule of Emperor Chongzhen. Secondly, the geographical location of Beijing wasn't in Emperor Chongzhen's favour. The advantage of Beijing as the capital was that it could quickly respond to the aggression of northern invaders, but the disadvantages were also obvious. The proximity also meant more and greater possibility of being attacked by invaders from the north. It was a city of a million population that was unable to provide food for itself. Self-sufficiency required a supply from the south to the capital through the Grand Canal. Once the city was besieged, the food supply was cut off. Many believe Emperor Chongzhen never stood a chance despite his best efforts. The Ming Dynasty couldn't have been saved no matter what. Some hypothetically wonder what would happen if the emperor had escaped from the capital city to the south instead of staying in the palace after it was seized. Do you think that was a choice he should have made? That's all for this episode of Makers and Shakers of Chinese History. Special thanks go out to Sandian Zhongdu for contributing to the content of this podcast. If you like the show, feel free to subscribe wherever you listen and give us a rating. I'm Mark, and I hope to see you next time on Makers and Shakers of Chinese History.